morning. Okay. Our reading this morning is by the Reverend Nathan Walker from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, beyond the zero-sum game. For centuries, insiders have been democratizing their religion. Incremental moments of institutional reform have led to a new era of theological enlightenment. From out of ancient times into the twilight of now, these reformers have made a sacred vow to never mischaracterize freedom as a zero-sum game. True freedom is not jealous. True freedom is not envious. True freedom is not spiteful. True freedom does not desire to restrict the rights of others. True freedom knows not a selfish thought, knows not how to threaten. To sense true freedom is to know that your win is my glory, and that your suffering is inexorably tied to my own. The sum of all that is holy shines far beyond the tools of our evolving democracy. The party jingles, the ticket signs. The sum of all that is holy is found in our collective desire to know freedom, not as a political slogan, but as a way of
legacy of the edict of Cornell. That's another sermon that is drier and more odd for me to apply. But what's important in this story is that there's another tradition at GA, which is that one night every General Assembly, a couple dozen of us ministers uh, play hooky from the concert and all go to a baseball game. Oh. Whatever home team uh, in the, the city that we're in, whether that's a major league or a minor league team, um, you get to know places like the, the New Orleans Sugar Babies. Um, <laughs> and this year, the Kansas City Royals. And of course, this year, because we have all these international guests, we decided to invite them to a baseball game. Oh. I ended up sitting next to Norbert Raj, Minister of the Unitarian Church in Konochar, Transylvania. Uh-huh. Now, I have been playing or watching baseball my entire life. The game seems pretty straightforward to me. But it turns out, trying to explain the rules of this very American game to a very friendly international colleague is, uh, is challenging. And it was around the time that the Reverend Earl Holt of King's Chapel, Massachusetts, and I were trying to explain the infield fly rule that Norbert looked down at his sausage, looked at us, and said, this sausage is very delicious, and this beer is very delicious. I see many people here at the stadium enjoying sausage and beer. <laughs> is it possible that there are people in the stadium are more interested in sausage and beer than in the specifics of the game. He said, well, you're understanding baseball now. But here's the thing about the infield fly rule. What appears on the surface to be an odd and pedantic rule is a, is a quirk in the game designed to prevent a defender, say a third baseman, from doing the following, getting under the ball like he's going to catch it, and then dropping his hands, letting the ball fall down on the ground in front of him, picking it up, and then surprising all the runners and getting two or three out. Oh. That's the purpose of the infield fly rule. Right? If, you, if you didn't have it, defenders could take runners unaware, getting two or three outs where they would otherwise just have gotten one. It is a pedantic rule designed to uh, ensure sportsmanship. Because the exact same situation could happen if the third baseman just misses the ball and it falls out in front of him. So to prevent any ambiguity between whether they meant to catch the ball or not, the hitter is just automatically out. Now you all understand the infield fly rule, right? But the rule is there, like the best rules, to encourage creativity, action, and interaction and fair play, to discourage unfair interaction. What we do in congregations is a kind of play. I think you believe that. Churches are places where we come together out of our separate lives to interact with each other, to imagine together, to, to have activities, to work, or to come and go sing, to dance, to debate, find ways to disagree, to build.
build something together. Those are all activities of play. And if we play here together, then we do play here with rules. We have our covenants, absolutely. But also our governance structure and the various policies that make up how we run this place from day to day. And we do have some rules in our policies that make the infield fly rule seem straightforward. There's a, a clear difference, though, between congregations and a baseball game. There are many. Um, <laughs> but uh, in a baseball game, an advantage by one team is, is by necessity a disadvantage to the other team. Right? If Boston Red Sox score a run while they're playing the Baltimore Orioles, that is not good for the Orioles. We are not all winners in professional baseball. That's what's called a zero-sum game. Or what benefits one side disadvantages the other side. Congregations are different. What benefits one often benefits the whole. If we play games as a congregation, they are zero-sum, non-zero-sum games. And this distinction is really how we think about the games that we play informs how we think about the world itself. Take this example, and if you've seen the movie Arrival recently, uh, then it will seem familiar. Imagine you're trying to communicate with somebody who you have no point of reference for. You don't speak each other's language. They're trying to learn everything they can So uh, an interaction where communication and mutual understanding starting from square one. Now, you can play either a game of chess or a jigsaw puzzle as basis for your communication with each other. If you choose a jigsaw puzzle, then your interactions and communication are built on cooperation, reaching a mutual goal. If you base your communication on chess, however, then each interaction becomes a zero-sum game. One person has the advantage, one person doesn't. Each move is to gain an advantage over the other. Those are two radically different ways of thinking about the world. On a very practical level, international relations are a really good example of this. For a whole lot of human history, countries and people relating to each other was a, a fundamentally zero-sum proposition. Calais was either French or English, and a whole lot of folks died trying to prove it one way or another. Resources are finite. So a country following its best interest would take resources from other countries if it could. That's welfare. That makes it this way of thinking about the world in zero-sum terms reached its pinnacle in the first half of the 20th century. Festering uh, disagreement about whether Alsace-Lorraine was either French or German, among other things, resulted in three wars in 70 years, the last two involving the whole world. <laughs> the aftermath of the world's wars required a, a different way of thinking 
about internationalization. It was no longer acceptable, if it ever was morally, for one country to act wholly in self-interest. By, by 1945, it was clear that each country was interconnected and that what was bad for one was likely bad for many. It's kind of the inverse non-zero-sum game. If I disadvantage you, I'm likely disadvantaging myself as well. So the post-war system was set up specifically not to be a zero-sum game. Institutions like the UN and World Bank were developed to increase interconnections between countries. The whole idea of free trade is basically the proposition that the world economy is a non-zero-sum game. NATO started as a zero-sum game, a group of countries balancing the USSR on a global scale, but has morphed into something more complicated. The European Union can be seen as a continent-wide covenant, switching after a century of war, millennia of war, to a non-zero-sum game where what's good for France is good for Germany and Alsace-Lorraine doesn't have borders. That's a good thing. Covenant is how we play together. And then, yeah. Well, that clock has stopped. And you now want to say, I'm going to need to vamp for 20 minutes. Even the most obscure and strange rules 
like the infield fly rule, and have an underlying purpose that serves both sides. There is a danger to this point that I'm making. Rules and covenants can also be used to keep people out. They create an in-crowd that knows them, raising barriers to entry. Barriers like, say, not growing up with baseball, so not really understanding why everybody in the middle of the seventh inning suddenly stands up and starts <laughs> That's a simple that's a simple example, but if you don't share that experience, that unwritten rule, you actually feel pretty isolated. How do we make sure the rules of the game do not serve this? sure that whenever we're putting together rules or policies or covenants, that we draw the circle as wide as we can, that we make sure that we think through what kind of unintended consequences our covenant might have, and we think through who the hour of our covenant is. That part we do when we form rules, but the ongoing piece that I think is just as important is that we make explicit what the rules of the game are, and we don't let them become unwritten. There is nothing so frustrating in life as thinking you understand the rules of the game you're playing and realizing that others are playing with a different rulebook. That's true if you're an election observer in Russia. That's true if you're a president nominating Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. That's true if you're a coal miner losing that's true if you are a brand new visitor to a church who is told, I'm sorry I can't talk, I'm very busy today, by somebody you thought was a
you'll need to dive headfirst into church governance and policy in order to enjoy your time here. Wonder how long on that. <laughs> but there is a beauty to the process of figuring out how to make explicit how we will be with each other. How we will be with each other. How this place will serve all of us. Give us the most opportunities to learn. So it's a church. It's a game that we're playing together. It's a politics. It's not a dream come true. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will continue to say one thing because I think this bears repeating um, about the order of service. The, the printed order of service requires about 10 to 15 hours of staff time to put together each week over the whole staff. And so we made a decision for the summer to make these laminated orders of service so that we could free up that staff time for long term projects. We really are excited about launching the fall. So that's why you have the order of service that you have. It also saves up that much tinkering. So, you know, we'll, we can have a conversation after the summer if this was a particularly good experiment, but it is allowing us to do some really cool stuff that I'm really excited about the long All right. Rise in body or in spirit and join us in singing.